I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversations, diverse connection, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. If you are an experienced, well-trained therapist with lived experience, whose clinical approach aligns with the values represented in these podcast episodes, or if you are seeking treatment, we would love to hear from you. Please go to our website, karenlewisedc.com forward slash apply. All right, everyone, here we go. This is a really exciting interview for me. My guest for today is Caitlin Scheimer, and we are talking about eating disorders, substance abuse, everything that Caitlin has worked through, and she is now actually a therapist at my center, the Karen Lewis Eating Disorder Center. So as always, let's just jump right in. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Recovery Bites. I am sitting here today with one of my dear colleagues who works with me. Her name is Caitlin Scheimer. Caitlin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Karen. I'm super honored and excited to be here. I am so both excited and honored to have you here. You have been working with me for a little less than a year. Um, I supervise you. We have this great connection. Share with the listeners a little bit about yourself, your narrative, how you got here, and then we're going to expand from there. Sure. Yeah. Um, So I've been in the eating disorder field for many years. Um, I started in my early 20s working in residential centers um, as a residential counselor, but I was always intending to become a therapist. Um, And I'm a pretty new therapist. um, But yeah, I've been working with you for uh, almost a year and it has been uh, just the best. Um, Yeah. Do you want me to go into more of my past right now? Yeah. Yeah, share a little bit of it, because one of the things that I want us to talk about is co-occurring with addiction and eating disorder. Um, there's actually a lot for us to talk about. So yeah, share a little bit of your narrative, and then we'll we'll keep going. Sure. So um, I am recovered from an eating disorder and from substance use disorder. My eating disorder was when I was a teenager. And I was about like 15, freshman in high school when it developed. I was diagnosed with anorexia and um, I went to treatment a few times. And I can go more into that um, and how that kind of came about, um, if you'd like. Do you want me to? 
Absolutely. Because you know what? As you're saying that, I'm thinking there's a lot of people out there that are listening to this that have been in treatment a number of times. And I don't want people to lose hope. So go ahead. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I definitely lost hope. Like I have a journal. I wrote in my journal like every single day when I was in treatment um, and I still have them. And I um, wrote a lot about how I would see people coming in and out of treatment. And that made me feel hopeless. And I had a bad feeling that it, I would be back. And I was back, but that didn't mean that it was over. Um, yeah. So I thankfully was really motivated to get better from the beginning. But I, that didn't stay the same. Like once I got to treatment, I was like, kind of like, F this. You know what I mean? Um, but I had a really supportive family, which I'm forever forever grateful for. I mean, they did mess up. They weren't perfect. But um, my mom, my mom's sister had anorexia and bulimia, and she kind of knew the signs. So after only like a few months of me engaging in behaviors, they put me um, into residential treatment or they got me, sorry, they got me the nutritionist, the doctor, the psychiatrist, the therapist, and then they referred me to residential treatment. Um, and I went to the same residential treatment three times in high school. Um, and my eating disorder, oh, there's so many things that play into an eating disorder, right? And I don't think we can ever know all the exact reasons or little things that go into it. But for me, looking back, and I didn't realize this kind of till later until um, I recovered from my addiction, is that a lot of it was kind of related to my ADHD. So I am diagnosed with ADHD and, um, but I wasn't diagnosed, um, until later in high school. Um, and what my eating disorder kind of did for me is it helped me feel more in control of myself. And I know that's kind of a common theme, but I, I grew up always feeling like too much, which I also hear a lot of my clients say, um, I was very hyper and I still, I mean, I am a hyper person. Like I get really excited about things, really into things, really passionate, but I could get pretty annoying. Um, and that's not to like a judgment on myself, but like my friends would tell me that I was annoying sometimes. And I took it so personally, like that it was something so horrible about me that I really needed to quiet down and get under control. Um, I also, my parents did their best, but I really think they had a hard time figuring out how to help me. And I did unfortunately feel a lot of shame for how messy I was and how disorganized and, um, it, every, like, even like emptying the dishwasher felt like this monumental ask from my parents. And, um, that is now looking back, that makes sense because of my ADHD. Um, but and I don't, I don't yeah, mean to interrupt and yeah. forgive me. I don't think people truly understand how debilitating ADHD can be. And I think it's also often very used as like this, like throw out term, like, oh, that's my ADHD talking. And I'm like, mm, no. Yeah. And lately. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not. That's just being distracted. I mean, listen to what you're saying. Like you were messy. You couldn't empty the dishwasher. There are so many, I'm going to say daily living things that, that, that we are our base for the day, you know, cleaning up your room or whatnot, just getting yourself organized. And if you start your day disorganized, 
that's how it continues. So keep going. I really just wanted to highlight that. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it was debilitating. Um, and I think other things played a factor. Like I think, you know, there was also anxiety, um, which it can be really confusing to like tease those out because they can kind of look like each other, anxiety and ADHD. But, um, I really struggled with executive functioning and still kind of do, but I can go more into how I manage my ADHD, um, you know, pretty, you know, not pretty much substance free, but I am, I am a medication, but non-stimulant. Um, and I've learned a lot of tricks of how to live life with ADHD and actually really appreciate it. And yeah. again, I, I get, I'm like you, I'm very passionate. We absolutely need to get to the point where you talk about treating ADHD with medication that are non-stimulants, because that is a big deal when we're working with clients with eating disorders. So you just keep going, my darling. You just keep going. So I want to talk more about the ADHD thing and kind of how that led to my addiction, unfortunately. Um, but it's also, it wasn't just that with my eating disorder. Um, I grew up in a pretty emotionally chaotic household. And I really, I know my parents are going to listen to this and I feel like bad saying that, but um, it was, my dad struggled with anger issues. My mom was very sensitive um, and, you know, struggled with anxiety herself and depression at times. Um, I was um, always on alert for other people's, you know, people's shifts and emotions. It always felt very just chaotic and like I had no space. Um, and I think my eating disorder allowed me to retreat to kind of this quiet little world of mine. Um, and I was already overwhelmed because I had a, you know, a brain that, you know, ran a little differently. Um, so there was that. Um, and, you know, there's some trauma there, um, which I can talk more about healing from. But um, treatment was a, a mixed experience for me. Looking back, I really felt like it saved my life um, in some ways, but really what it, it wasn't even the therapies that saved my life. It was the community aspect of treatment and my peers. Um, and, you know, when I went to work in residential, that's something that I really um, tried to foster is like a really, you know, good sense of community in the milieu. Um because although the therapies are super helpful, it's it's really just, I think recovery is so much about connection. It's um, so important. But yeah, it's a pretty negative experiences in treatment. Um, I don't know if this is a good time to start talking about my allergies. That's another road to go down. Oh my gosh, I can't <laughs> believe I absolutely forgot this because as listeners will find out, you have severe yes. food allergies. and still have fully recovered. Oh, Caitlin, I forgot. Keep going, yeah, my daughter. Yeah, so so um I felt invalidated invalidated at times in treatment for several reasons. One of them was my allergies. Like I am fatally um allergic to all nuts and peanuts um and maybe mangoes and licorice. <laughs> um but I grew up with allergies and I grew up being kind of scared of food. You know, so that I think is one of the reasons why I developed an eating disorder at that time versus, you know, something else, but it, food made me anxious. Like it just did like, uh, not the food that I ate like at home, but like going out to eat was scary and going to people's houses. Like when I was a kid, my mom had to make me cupcakes. Like I couldn't ever have the cake at a friend's birthday. I had to sit by myself. Like this was back in the nineties. So 
allergies now are very like normalized. Back in the 90s, I had to like sit at a separate table during snack time. I had like my own table in the cafeteria that um, my a friend reminded me on Facebook the other day um, that because um, I posted a story about allergies and she's like, I remember when I was the only one who could sit with you because I um, brought my lunch from home or no, she was the only one who got a hot lunch. I forget what were the conditions that were safe to eat with me, but it was isolating. Um, and you know, made me very anxious, understandably. My, you know, my parents had never dealt with an allergic child before. So they, they were told by the allergist to, to make your child fear, fear, fear for their life because kids don't have like the, you know, they need. So I remember like going into the cafeteria and when I would get a hot lunch, which was rare, I just remember this pile of napkins and I would tell myself, I can't have the first napkin. I have to have the second or under, because someone might have touched that who had touched peanuts. And then if I touch that, touch my mouth, I'm going to die. So it was a very real thing. And I was probably a little more anxious than I needed to be. Um, but anyway, so in treatment, I had an allergic reaction. Um, and they weren't sure what it was from at first, but they later found out that it was because they were making my cheese, my plain cheese sandwiches on the same surfaces they were making other people's peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, even though they had warned them about the allergy, et cetera. Um, and they, my, and I was really upset. I had hives all over my body for like days. And my mom called and she was like, I'm coming to see her. And they were like, no, she needs to deal with this on her own. And I was 15 freaking years old. I don't know if I can swear on this podcast, but yeah. um, I was very young and my mom was like, no way I'm coming. And she like yelled at them and stuff like that. And I, that felt really good because I was like, no one's like taking this seriously. This is like a really big deal. And, you know, it was really scary, but yeah, having an eating disorder with allergies is interesting. Um, Cause I'm still a picky eater. And I feel like that's kind of taboo to say in the eating disorder recovery world. Like, I feel like if you're an eating disorder therapist, you have to be like all about variety and like going out of your comfort zone. But like, I I don't know how to, I, I just, I can't not be honest. I'm just a picky eater and I like what I like. Um, and, and I do not believe it's disordered at all. And I do feel like people are allowed to, you know, be picky eaters in recovery as long as it's not disordered. And there is a distinction. I just think people are uncomfortable with making that distinction mm -hmm. sometimes. Can you share with listeners a little bit about the way you do feed yourself? Because I think it's adorable. So keep <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 the way I describe it to people is that like I have that, I kind of eat like a 12 year old a little bit, like. And I say that because of children's menus, I guess. I like what's on children's menus. I've I've grown up a bit about it. Um, but I my favorite food is grilled cheese. I love grilled cheeses so much. My husband makes them for me whenever I ask. Um, and like macaroni and pizza and stuff like that. So even in my darkest of eating disorder days, that's like I never like cared about, you know. I, I hate to say, I don't believe in healthy or non-healthy foods, but you know, like stereo. The first time I had a salad, Karen, was my first day in eating disorder treatment. And I was like, oh, I don't eat salad. And they were like, <laughs> mm, what? <laughs> so I have since 
expanded my palate. Um, and, you know, I'm in my 30s now and I and I really want to nourish my body to have like, you know, the proper nutrients. I want to start a family one day. I like need to have more nutrients. But yeah, um, <laughs> although there wasn't eating disordered um, and or it wasn't eating disordered. And um, sometimes it got read that way. And it was very hard to convince people sometimes that it wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. so. I appreciate, though, your transparency when you say working in the eating disorder field, it is taboo if you say certain things about the way we as recovered eating disorder therapists take care of ourselves. And so, right. And and it's unfortunate. It really is without knowing the full narrative. And by the way, that's your palate. It really is. I think I'm a, what's called, I don't know if you've heard of it, like a super taster. My understanding is that my taste buds are like really sensitive. So even bland food tastes like amazing to me. So like, I don't really like spicy things. I don't like things with a lot of different seasoning. I'm a plain girl. Yeah. So there it is. So, but what I also want to point out is the importance that you can, as you said, this is not about being in a disorder. You can be a picky eater. You can have food allergies and have to look at labels and make sure you know what's in certain products, things like that. You can navigate through it, but I don't think it's easy, especially with the food allergy, because you always have to know what's in, in foods and things like that. And so what, I I guess this is just a random question, but like, how do you, what do you recommend to people when they have something like a fatal allergy like this and they still have to know what's in, read labels? Yeah. That's tough. Um, I have such mixed feelings about labels and like avoiding looking at them because at the end of the day, like you can't avoid all the nutrition info and also calories aren't bad. But inevitably, when you look at the ingredients of something, you probably will see what how many calories are in them. Um, when I was going through recovery, I my family... Um, we always bought the same sort of food. So it was, I didn't necessarily have to, or I knew my parents were reading the labels. So yeah. when I was younger, I I did go through a phase where I was like, I'm not looking at the calories of anything. I don't want to know, you know, that kind of stuff. Cause that's what I was told. But really, I think just having a more positive, um, you know, understanding of what calories and nutrition are and that they're not, it's not something to be scared of. Calories are units of energy. And I know that's kind of overly simplistic, but um, it's also, it's pretty easy to hone in. Like when I check labels, it's so, I'm so used to it that like, I just go right to the bottom of the ingredients and say- May contain nuts, yeah. Pretty easy to be laser focused into that. And obviously I'm not worried about calories at all anymore. Um, But I guess- Changing your relationship with nutrition facts in general um, helps. Mm-hmm. Talk about the multiple times, though. Remember, you said you went in and out and in and out, and so yeah. So share a little bit about that because, again, not alone in that. And I'm imagining a lot of people right now are listening and saying, "That's me," or "That might be." So share a little bit about that. Yeah, you know what's funny is that the second time I went to treatment it was kind of on purpose. And what I mean by that is I got back to school. Like I had, I forget exactly the timeline. You no, know, it was like 15, more than 15 years ago. Um, but I, 
I think I had a good summer and then school started and I immediately was like, screw this. I hate school. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so anxious. I'd rather be at the treatment center that I was at. Um, and so I just, I starved myself and then I got back in the treatment. So that's another thing that's close to my heart is the issue of avoidance. Um, and I was a very good avoider of things that scared me and made me uncomfortable and anxious and treatment didn't make me feel comfortable, but I felt safer there than at school. Um, but yeah, it also sucked. It also sucked. And by the third time I was like, I don't want this to be my life. This is really scary. Um, and I'm glad I didn't have to go back to treatment. But the sad thing is um, I I developed an addiction very quickly um, afterwards. Um, so I was like in recovery from an eating disorder and then got a substance use disor disorder. Um, but yeah, to, in speaking to the treatment, yeah, it's so hard to not lose hope. And when I worked, I worked in residential for like almost seven years. It's really hard. You know, it's, and it's hard to see clients come back again and again, like four years would go by. And then, you know, one of my former teenage clients is now 20 and they're back in treatment and it can be really discouraging for them. But I, this is what I truly believe is that like, it's not the client's fault. If the treatment isn't working, like it's the treatment's fault or it's not the treatment for them well I, I think that's it I think it's a yeah. combination I think that as providers we do hold a lot of responsibility of navigating a client through treatment I also think that there is only so much a provider can do given a client's personality trait given the kind of treatment we were trained to provide them not all not all treatment providers are trained in certain ways you know there's also the idea of insurance cutting right away you know or halfway through and so i've often said to clients you can go and forgive me for using this expression for anybody who is in the world of residential or whatnot you can go to the worst program there is but if you're wanting to recover you will find a way to utilize that treatment. You can also go to the best program there is. And if you're not ready to recover and you're so deep in your eating disorder that you are not willing yet to give it up, doesn't matter. It's not going to work. So that's that's where it's it's the the responsibility is sort of like doled out. Is that the right word? You know, I, I always use words wrong. I don't know. You know, it's so every everybody, no pun intended, has a piece of the pie. Right. So some and some greater than others. Talk about then. And and if you don't mind me asking, do you feel that when you went into addiction, was it symptom swapping, meaning that you hadn't for, for people who don't understand that that term, you hadn't really gone through the underlying issues yet that that made you want to, you know, either numb out or whatever. So when you gave up the eating disorder, you swap, you swapped, yeah. swept. What's wrong with what? my words today, everybody? Into substances. Share a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, looking back, I, I really do think that's what happened. Um, I was like in the middle of my recovery from my eating disorder, still going to like outpatient, you know, weight checks and therapy and stuff. And I was becoming more of like um, a normal teenager, if that makes sense. Like, not that normal teenagers should be reckless, but like, I was like going out partying and like kind of making up for lost time. And I was kind of introduced to 
to substances. Um, and I was given, can I say the specific drug? Cause it's kind of central. Okay. Um, so I was given, um, an Adderall pill from an ex-boyfriend of mine and I can't, uh, so many, you know, fellow addicts who are listening will understand this, but like, it felt like what I was missing from my, my life that entire time when I took it. Um, it made me feel so good, so focused. Um, and it also did, it did suppress my appetite. Um, but it did not that, and that was part of the appeal at the beginning, but that did not last the, the reason why I stayed on, uh, addicted, that was not the reason. Um, what's interesting though, is I feel that I was, um, kind of self-medicating. I think I, you know, cause I, I did get diagnosed with ADHD. Um, but they actually didn't test me until my therapist found out that I was using illegally. And she's like, well, maybe you are self-medicating. Um, and we went through the whole ADHD, you know, kind of checklist. And then I got a neuropsych. And so I, I really appreciated that therapist. Um, her name was Rosemary because she didn't just jump to like, oh, you're bad. You're doing drugs. Like, oh, there might be like an issue that you is not being addressed that you are trying to address yourself. Um, however, because I really wasn't fully healed from my stuff, my emotional stuff, it became my coping mechanism and I abused it. It and I had it for years. Yeah, uh, the addiction, many, many years. Um, it's actually easier for me to recall and talk about my addiction versus my eating disorder, to be frank, because it's much more recent. I've also been sober for years now, but it um went right into adulthood, my addiction. And it was like it was extremely scary to to get sober. I'll say that. But I, you know what I tell people, and this might just be me, but if I had to choose between recovering from my substance addiction versus my eating disorder, I would choose the substance addiction anytime. Um, which sounds weird because it was also hell. But like as we talk about, you know, eating disorders, it's like an addiction, but you have to, you have to interact with your substance of choice every single day in a healthy way. Like I can't imagine doing that with Adderall. I can't imagine it being a part of my life in a healthy way. So it's I really appreciate and I have compassion for how difficult and how difficult it is to recover from an eating disorder. And when I say that to my clients, they're kind of like, I've noticed that they feel really, they feel really validated and like, oh, this is why it's so hard. You know, this is why I keep going back to it. It's so difficult. And I mean, it makes complete sense. Well, I think that's, that's a, a key point, which does make the difference, you know, and this is me going off on my own tangent, and this may be controversial because there's always the idea of like addiction and eating disorders are not the same. And yeah, true. my feeling, and, you know, I want to respect every person out there. My feeling is that they both achieve something that is a similar feeling, which is either numbing out avoidance false sense of security, false sense of self-esteem, false sense of grandiosity. Like, I think substances and eating disorders are kind of similar. They're both ways to cope with the the world and life and your emotions and trauma. Um, but I guess there are key physiological differences, especially with like substances like opiates and stuff like that. It's kind of that can, I've also worked with, you know, at a methadone clinic. So 
I think that's kind of on a different level in some ways because of how physical it is. But at the end of the day, it's just, it's about trying to get through life. Um, and it ends up kind of destroying it, ironically. I also, and, and forgive me, I feel like I just keep interrupting because no, you're not such a, such a great conversation. There's, there's two other things that I want to point out. One, there is the difference, which is, and it is not easy. I, I would never invalidate how difficult it is to give up any kind of substances or alcohol, anything like that. And you can live the rest of your life without it. When it comes to an eating disorder, now I'm not saying life is is comfortable because you might always want that substance, but with an eating disorder, regardless whether it's bulimia, binge eating disorder, anorexia, whatever it is, you do need to deal with that six times a day. You you need to learn how to incorporate that in your life. And that's that can be quite a challenge. I want to also go back, though, to this incredible, incredible therapist that you had. You said her name was Rosemary. Yeah, yeah. That this this is why I love supervising people. Mm. I love saying to them, take a step back. Never make an assumption. Don't ever judge anybody. The fact that that incredible therapist said, wait a minute, Caitlin, you might be getting something from this other than just a high, other than just a distraction. Let's take a step. Let's look at it from a bigger picture. Yeah. That is beautiful psychotherapy. I also, um, I've lucked out with therapists. Sometimes I feel really spoiled. Like people go through lots of different therapists and have a lot of, you know, trouble finding the best fit. But like, for the most part, I have had the most amazing therapist. And I, I really do want to talk about, um, um, this therapist, an addiction therapist that I had, um, his name was Dan and he kind of changed my life, um, with the therapy framework that he used to, um, treat my addiction and my trauma and, um, really healed me. And now I'm, really a huge advocate of um it and I use it a lot with my clients depending on if I think it's a good fit for them. Acceptance and commitment therapy or act <laughs> um is pronounced act um because it's about acting towards your values. Um that was like life changing for me. Um the eating disorder world is very focused on CBT and DBT, which are great, you know, evidence-based, but so is ACT. And I've seen I see it leaking in more and more to in treatment centers. But I just think it's so good for treating eating disorders. And I'll tell you why. People with eating disorders, um, and I don't mean to generalize, but or people in general have a really hard time accepting difficult internal experiences and and thoughts and feelings, right? So ACT is all about learning how to accept the thoughts and feelings and act differently, like act according to your values. So there's a lot of values identification and stuff like that. Um, and this whole concept of moving towards your values and moving away. So like what are away moves in life? So like using eating disorder behaviors or self-harming or um, even something like watching TV all day could be, you know, an away move. Um, it helps you avoid discomfort, but it moves you away from your values, if that makes sense. And so that really was a shift for me because it's CBT is very helpful in that 
it kind of makes you look at your thoughts more critically. However, at the end of the day, we can't really control our brains all that much. And so sometimes it's about just being like, okay, thank you, brain. You're doing this. Um, I know you're trying to be helpful, but I'm going to um, go to this thing that I'm anxious about anyway, because it's important to me. Um, and I don't know why that really spoke to me, but it really did. And I'm kind of obsessed with it. <laughs> I don't know. Act is, act is an incredible way of, of navigating through the world and value work is because at the end of the day, what I say to clients is whatever it is you're hoping to get from the eating disorder, I want you to get that too just not this way. If what you're hoping to get is connection with others because you value connection, I want you to have connection as well. We're just going to do it differently in a more adaptive way. If what you're looking for from the eating disorder is a sense of confidence and self-esteem, I want you positive self. I want you to have that too. So, so the eating disorder, substance abuse, all of these things are just are derailing us from our values, which makes us use the behavior even more. Yeah, and recognizing that the eating disorder and the addiction are not going to get you where you want to go. That was the thing that was hard for me about my addiction in particular. I was convinced, Karen, that I couldn't live life without it, that I could not be good at anything. I I felt like I couldn't even take a shower right without the medic, like without the drugs. I mean, it was a huge liar, my addiction. Um, and so are eating disorders, but it's, it's so hard to know that. Like I can tell clients that, but like, it's so hard to know that unless you live it. Um, and something that's also hard to accept is that like, I, I truly do not miss Adderall at all anymore, but I did have to let go of the fact that I was, if giving, giving that up meant that I was never going to get that same exact high, that manufactured high ever again. Like, yes, I can life it, turned out to be way better off of it but like it's also about kind of like mourning that um that you can't if you want to live your life you cannot use these things that make you feel really good in the moment ever again it's also important and something i'm still working through is mourning the time i lost to my addiction and my eating disorder but also my uh, mostly my addiction because that was frankly longer um and letting go of that and um accepting that is can be hard but working on it. What is it like for your clients? So you you work at you work at my center and I everybody that works for me we has lived experience and I think it allows us to use this in a very clinical way. What is it like and whether we're talking about the eating disorder or substance abuse? The fact that you were just so honest and said, there is a, a part that I grieve. You know, I think we're also afraid to say if if something doesn't sound politically correct in the therapeutic world, like what is it like for you to, to be in a position where you can so authentically not only drop into yourself, but also connect with a client and say, yep. It is. It's really. It. It's a grieving process, and mean it from from experience. Like, what is that like? First of all, it's so freeing. That's the first thing that comes to mind in the sense that, um, you know, I've worked at different, you know, 
you know, eating disorder places before and it's never, there's always kind of like this, it's weird how some places like you can't be open about your own recovery, even though it's so valuable. So I really appreciate working somewhere where that is valued in a clinical way, not in a like, uh, I'm just going to self-disclose for the heck of it. You know, it's used in a very clinical way. And I mean, I so appreciate that because that is what led me to this work is my own experiences. I wouldn't become an eating disorder therapist if I hadn't gone through that, you know, but so I really think it helped with my clients, it, especially my teenage clients. And um, because they feel like, first of all, teenagers have a hard time understanding that people do kind of can understand them. Um, I can't understand you fully, but there's lots of aha moments with teenagers and they're like, oh, my therapist, like, has gone through all of this stuff and, um, you know, is now helping people. I think that can be really valuable. Um, but yeah, I, I am talking from a place of kind of like bodily knowing, you know, I, I feel it in my bones. And I, I think what I appreciate is the vulnerability when you said I had to learn to live without something that I really, really wanted. Like I really, and I had to understand the consequence from a healthy person now that even though I really liked that high, the consequence was the cost was much greater than the short time reward. And similar to how I have on my website, I wasn't afraid of dying from an eating disorder. I was afraid to live in the world without one. And I think that when people are struggling with substance abuse, eating disorders, anything like that, we we feel so alone. Like everybody else can recover, but I can't. Nobody, you know, I'm the only one that can't do it. And so to be able to go to my website and see that quote, to be able to hear you talking in, you know, for, and, and again, I'm very, very clear about using it in a clinical way is something that I wish I had heard and it might've helped my recovery process because I would have understood I'm actually not that unique. I'm, I am to, to myself and to the people who love me, but with regards to being able to recover, I'm not unique. So I really value about 12-step programs. My husband um, is a big, um, he's very into NA, Narcotics Anonymous. Um, I'm not big into the 12 steps. And um, there's some things I have issues with um, with the, those programs. However, what I really like about them is that you go to this place where all of the people there are people who ha are recovering or have recovered. And they have, you know, this message of hope. Um, and that something that is helpful, I think, to hear, which rubbed me the wrong way at first, but that is that, that you're not that unique, <laughs> you know, you're not unique. It's this common humanity sort of thing that Kristen Neff talks about, um, that you're not alone. Yeah. And I say to clients all the time, well, let me take a step back. I say to clients who I have a really, really good, strong relationship with, you're not that important. Yep, exactly. I And I say, to me, you're important, to your family, to your loved ones. But you know what? When you go to that wedding next week, it's not about you. You're not that important. It's about the bride and groom or the bride and bride or the groom and groom. It's not 
Um, but we get so insecure that we think, and sometimes we need to hear that. And we need to hear that with a little bit of firmness and a lot of compassion simultaneously. Yeah. And recovery is a lot about looking outward more um, than it's about doing the inner work, but then being able to look outward into the world and experiences beyond yourself that I think is really helpful. And that's, again, about connection. I mean, I, connection is, um, there was a quote or a TED talk about um, addiction that was like, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection or something like that, um, which again is oversimplistic, but I really love that. Um, it's really hard to be an addict when you are connecting with others in the world in a meaningful way. I mean, it's it's really hard. <laughs> same, same thing with an eating disorder. And what that reminds me of and is, oh, we're going to have to end in a minute, is the idea of the rat park. Do you know that idea, that concept? I'm not sure. When they did studies with rats in a cage and they had uh, one bottle, water bottle with just water and one had was laced with drugs and the rats would go to the ones with drugs and actually literally drink it until it killed them or they would become addicted and whatnot. And so therefore they're like, you know, automatically people are going to go for the reward. And somebody said, no, hang on, you're missing something really vital. What about community? So they created a rat park with tons of rats and, and things to stimulate them and things for them to play on. And, and almost none of the rats went to the one that had the drugs in it, or if they did, they didn't uh, end up becoming addicted. They would just have a little bit. And it was because, by the way, I'm. A, this is also, again, oversimplifying, but what they were saying is, is that it's really hard to be in community, in, in a community that's present and active and doing stuff and have an addiction, have an eating disorder. And this is what is so devastating about eating disorders and addiction. It is the opposite. I have never been so isolated in my life as when I was in my eating disorder. And so we sabotage ourselves and we stay in isolation and we stay in the disorder. Exactly. All right, Caitlin, I love you so much. and I, I love you too. So, oh, this is so great. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Caitlin. I adore you. And I just want to say, I, I appreciate your passion and I love having you work at, at, I love having you work at my center. I love have I love supervising you. You're, you're just an absolute joy to be with. So I want to say thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank you so much, Karen. I, I really, I can't imagine working with anyone else or for anyone else. I really can't. It's been the best thing that's one of the best things that's ever happened in my life, truly. So thank you. Like a little love fest right here. So <laughs> I, I apologize, everyone. So corny. Love it. Love it. <laughs> All right, everyone. That does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Recovery Bites. Be sure to visit recoverybitespodcast.com to join the conversation, access show notes, listen to past episodes, and more. You can also find us by searching for Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify, and major podcast streaming players. For weekly episode releases, you can follow us at at Recovery Bites Pod on Instagram. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or to submit a guest request, please visit KarenLewisEDC.com forward slash podcast signup to begin the process. I'd also like to send out a heartfelt thank you to my producer, Jen Galvin. It is unbelievable the magic she does behind the scenes. All right, everyone. See you next week for another Recovery Bite. Thanks for listening.